Welcome. Welcome to the news. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to talk about the travails of Netflix, the formerly impregnable streaming service. Falling on some hard times here. Just some challenges. Challenges. Growth challenges, not revenue challenges. We'll give you all that in a little while, what the implications are. But right now, Robert Pattinson, former Moonlight fan, what is it? What is it? What is that series called? Former vampire Robert Pattinson. That's who I'm talking about. He has joined Adam West and Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer, Kilmer George Clooney, Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, and Robert Mueller um, uh, as people who have played Batman, or in this case, the Batman. Uh, and to help keep things straight, they added the the. Uh, and also, <laughs> I actually, I've been listening to the stream of consciousness impersonation of Trump that James Austin Johnson does on Saturday Night Live. I'm starting to sound like that person. That's not good. But it's really, really complicated because there are these movies and there are like some movies still where Ben Affleck is going to be still Batman. And apparently Michael Keaton is going to be Batman like trying to get his social security check or something. I don't know what his big challenge is going to be. Anyway, this one is kind of a hit. Uh, and here to talk about it are our terrific panelists, Sam Haddleman, who works in major public in music public relations and hosts the Sam Haddleman Show at Radio Free Brooklyn. You can tell it's been a long week. I can't even read anything. Uh, James Hanley is co-founder at Cine Studio at Trinity College, live from Zurich, uh, where he's been joining us from lately. Tracy Wu Fastenberg is development officer at Connecticut Children's. So I guess maybe to begin, I want to kind of take everybody's temperature on this. And Sam, you were kind of an early adopter of the Robert Pattinson, The Batman movie. So tell us what you like about it. Um, uh, Let me start like this. I like that it's like an actual Batman film. I think The Dark Knight was a fantastic movie. But if it wasn't about Batman, like it'd still be a great movie. It's like a great movie that just happens to be about Batman. This was like an actual classic, almost like Detective Batman for any of my comic book people out there. Um, I liked how it was neo-noir. It was dark. It actually had consequence to it, which is a hard thing to to play with in superhero films because the whole point is that there's no consequence. Um, I loved Robert Pattinson. I honestly, I'll talk about this later in the show, but I can make an argument. He's one of the best Batmans ever. Um, Love the cast. Uh, The filming was great. And the Nirvana soundtrack, come on now. Uh, was a big fan. Is there really a Nirvana soundtrack or is there just like one song they use twice? Yeah. It's Something in the Way, which is a song Kurt Cobain wrote about living under a bridge. Right. Um, and I actually performed it at my uh, first coffee house in high school at like 14 with my principal. Um, but yeah, it's a real angsty song for a real angsty movie. Okay. We would actually pay for the video of that if anybody's got it. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it almost doesn't have a soundtrack. It's got Ave Maria twice and one Kurt Cobain song twice. And I don't know if there's much of anything else there. Uh, but uh, so Tracy Wu Fastenberg, let's move along. Uh, how about you? How did the Batman work out for you? I mean, it worked out for me. I didn't hate it. Um, I will say it. I don't have such as glowing a review as Sam does. Um, I mean, of all the superhero franchises, Batman's probably the one I've seen all the movies for. I can't say I've done the same for anything else. I wasn't as impressed with Robert Pattinson's um, acting. I kind of felt like, you know, he was dude from Twilight. And I hate to admit that I've seen those movies, but I have. And, you know, sort of that same like stoic, a little, you know, tortured. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works for it, it works for the Batman, um, but I didn't see it as as much different from that character. Um, I did really, I mean, I love Jeffrey Wright um, and Colin Farrell was fantastic and I kept on forgetting it was him. 
Um, it was fun to watch because it really felt like you were watching a comic book in certain parts. Um, but I do have to say it's three hours long. I don't know why we keep having these three hour long movies that you know could have been condensed a little more, tightened up, um, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. And um, I mean, I think if folks are into Batman, you absolutely need to watch it. I wouldn't say it's a must watch for everyone though. Yeah, uh, to uh, Tracy's point, let me just flesh out the casting a little bit. Uh, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, which is to say, uh, Catwoman. Catwoman has always been named Selena Kyle, I think starting with, in 1940 or something. Uh, Paul Dano is the Riddler. You wouldn't know it for a really long time. Jeffrey Wright is the new uh, Lieutenant James Gordon, eventually would, would becoming, be becoming Commissioner uh, Gordon of Gotham City. John Turturro is the uh, kind of mega hoodlum Carmine Falcone. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard is District Attorney uh, Gil Coulson. So you can see it's a pretty good cast. And then notably, talking about fleshing out a role, Colin Farrell is the Penguin. Uh, and Andy Serkis, uh, for, formerly Gollum and many other things, uh, is, oddly enough, Alfred the Butler. So, um, so James, yeah, tell us about – you've actually now watched it twice, as I understand. Right, yes. And I, it's interesting uh, hearing what uh, others are, are saying about it now. I, I really liked it the first time I saw it as a kind of um, – as as just a new take, and I like the sort of almost aggressively analog quality of the of the visual side of it, the cinematography, and I like the characters. The, the the acting was really great, and I actually like the soundtrack. It's actually aside from the songs, there's really only sort of four bars of music that have repeated over and over. But I kind of like the atmosphere of that, and Robert Pattinson really does take the the character in a different direction but i don't seeing it a second time i was having a conversation with my husband who came to see it with me and um, one of the things that has always sort of tickled in the back of the mind is exactly what uh the batman story itself is saying about urban life and um in a comic book setting it, it somehow in the uh christopher nolan films it wasn't such a sort of in-your-face element in the film. And one of the uh, really kind of disturbing things is how it portrays the chaos of urban life. And more than that, a hopelessness of urban life that really there's no chance to get above this, that this that, that, that New York City, thinly disguised, of course, is an absolute disaster and uh, there's trash everywhere. And, and it's, it's such an aggressively grungy background and there were elements, too, that sort of began to bother me seeing it the second time, particularly the gang at the beginning who are painted in white face and the guy who's singled out as a rookie who has to prove himself is a black man who's half painted. It almost seems like just so that you're sure that you know that he's black, you know, that um, it's sort of like a, 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 an element that's brought in that they felt they had to bring in somehow. And so I, I could go on with a lot of sort of elements that, that began to disturb me. But there is one other thing that, that I, I just find it difficult now to sort of separate this sense of watching a story like Batman and listening to the news about what's happening in, in, in Ukraine, you know, with a real crazy person. I'm having trouble separating that now. And that's the first time in 50 years of running movies that I've really felt that. And I went through Vietnam and the, the you know, the movies about Vietnam and stuff like that. This seemed to be sort of touching on that sort of real life chaos. 
Right. So I have to react to two things. I would assume that seeing a movie with your husband, Norman, you would be realizing he would have a lot of transportation critiques of the movies afterwards. Like there's, <laughs> there's not, not enough not enough light rail in Gotham City. No, no wonder they have problems, uh, that kind of stuff. Also, didn't that gang strike you as a throwback to the Warriors, the 1979 movie, The Warriors? Uh, yep. With, with the white faces and the black, you know, eye stuff. And James, I actually thought, I was thinking about this this morning. I sort of thought they set up that guy, the ambivalent being initiated guy. You kind of expect him to come back at some point and be a character or something. I mean, they yeah, set him yeah. up. They kind of left. He's like sort of a Chekhov's pistol. He's just sitting there on the table. They didn't do anything with him. Um, right. I've actually heard some some commentary about that from folks in the Asian community because the person, because this particular scene is not critical to the plot line. I'm not spoiling, but the person that is also involved in this altercation is an Asian man in a subway. And so I think for a lot of folks in the Asian community, it felt a little traumatic and there were comments of, was this really necessary too? And it's true, you don't see anyone there except for the Batman again. Um, you know, What was the choice of that casting? And was it really necessary to go that way? Yeah, so on, I, on both sides. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I was just thinking that, you know, that that to me sort of has a hint of, um, you know, like a committee uh, coming up with script elements and putting things together rather than somebody with an overall concept, because there's also the black woman who's running for mayor who seems to be uh, suggested as a main, as a serious character at the beginning of the movie. But at the end of the movie, she's kind of like a device um, mm -hmm. and, and an afterthought. Oh, by the way, we'd better bring her back in kind of thing. Um, things like that, elements of the movie didn't quite work for me in that way. Before we go further, let's hear a little something from the movie. Uh, Dylan, we'll do A1 here. This is Andy Serkis uh, as Alfred and Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne slash The Batman. The killer left this for the Batman. Apparently. You're becoming quite a celebrity. Why is he writing to you? I don't know you. Have a shower. Our accounting friends at Wayne Enterprises are coming for breakfast. Here? Why? Because I couldn't get you to go there. I haven't got time for this. It's getting serious, Bruce. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care about that. Any of that. You don't care about your family's legacy? What I'm doing is my family's legacy. If I can't change things here, if I can't have an effect, I don't care what happens to me. That's what I'm afraid of. Alfred, stop. You're not my father. I'm well aware. So, Sam, you know, I said this before the show started, but there's a way in which the DC Comics universe has failed to compete successfully with the just all-encompassing uh, octopus-like uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I mean, there's just, you know, a lot more movies, uh, and people talk about them a lot more. And this movie does feel a little bit like the DC people saying, well, we could get back in this game a little bit. It's just not always going to be Zack Snyder's father's best friend's cut oh. of, of the Justice League movie. We can we can do this. And, and even though I'm kind of a little bit lukewarm about this movie compared to you, I do feel the effort being made there. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say I think that this, like the Batman uh, was way better than probably the last seven Marvel releases. Like I liked this more than Spider-Man. I liked it more than Endgame. It was smoking them all like a swisher. Like it was, <laughs> I thought I thought that this was so much better. And it's funny that you guys keep bringing up stuff that like I liked. I liked how apathetic the movie was. And it's like, I don't know, it's a Batman movie. Like there's not going to be a Gotham community garden. Like it's, it's, it's a it's a Batman film. Like every single Batman film shows Gotham in complete disarray. If Gotham was like a lucrative, fun city, they could they would have like the Flash. They wouldn't need the Batman. And I think I like the fact that like the city's in such disarray and almost like the Batman literally does nothing to stop the Joker's plan. I mean the Riddler. Sorry, like spoiler alert. But I like how at the end. The final like scene is kind of Batman diving into the waters and helping people out one by one. And I think that's the message that they kind of want to get across was like, okay, yeah, the world's on fire, but at least there's one guy who's trying to do something. I thought that was kind of like the, the end all message at the end. Right. But just for, to set the record straight, Gotham City does have a community garden, but people keep taking <laughs> the green pumpkins out and turning them into Halloween costumes. Uh, so it's been very difficult to maintain that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Tracy. I, I feel like you and I are kind of maybe of a similar mind here. And, and I also agree with you about the bloatedness of this movie. But I also feel like a lot of the parts are underwritten. You know, I like Jeffrey Wright a lot. I said this to you in our emails. I like Jeffrey Wright a lot. I don't think this... He even has as much to chew on as Gary Oldman did in the same role. I feel like most of it is this kind of stolid, to use Sam's word, almost apathetic uh, performances of people who just seem incredibly depressed about whatever situation they're in. I mean, look at where they were living. So, I mean, and and I would say that for Jeffrey Wright, I do hope he returns in this character um, because I, I agree that they could have done more with that. Um, as far as the community garden, I think, you know, where James is going with the, um, you know, the depressing poop show that Gotham is right now is that in previous ones, we see, you know, Bruce Wayne kind of at least playing the part of, um, of society, you know, throwing a party here, you know, glitterati there and everything. And so that shows that side of Gotham. We don't really see that in this movie. And so it does, um, pretty much show Gotham as as one sided and one toned. Yeah. Before I, I'd like to get James back into that, but before we do that, since we're talking about Jeffrey Wright, we do have a clip here. Here's Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant James Gordon. Once again, Robert Pattinson as the Batman. He waited for him at the gym. He'd always like to work out late at night when no one else was around. There's a needle mark on his neck. Injected him with arsenic. Rat poison. Yeah. That seems to be his theme here. What kind of demented son of a bitch does this to a person? More symbols. I'll get it. Why would Pete get involved in something like this? Looks like he got greedy. You kidding me? After everything we did to take down the Maronis? He busted the entire operation, then he caves to some life dealer. Maybe he's not who you thought. You make it sound like he had it coming. He was a cop. Cross the line. You know, James, one thing that we could say, apropos of your critique, is that 
Batman and superheroes go has always been kind of a pretty conservative bordering on right wing vision anyway. You have this kind of one percenter billionaire guy who dresses up in a costume and then is kind of judge, jury and executioner in a lot of these situations. I mean, Batman, all all super superheroes essentially circumvent due process. But the Batman franchise for some time has kind of reveled in that idea, right? <laughs> so maybe it's uh, not, a su- not a surprise that the, the city is a hellscape uh, and this you know white male one percenter is going to save them by kicking the crap out of bad guys. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I, I get where, you know, the Batman thing is coming from and uh, all of the surrounding of it and its role in cinema and the number of people who played the character. But I guess I was hoping, I, I mean, when I first saw the film, I actually was, I think, taken by the fact that it was looking in a different direction and the characters were um, somehow more like the original comic book sort of ethos in sense of the uh, that fitted with the murkiness of the cinematography, which I liked and all of that. But at the same time, there is really this, uh, these storylines and the way that it's expressed in a sort of mass entertainment really does have a significance in terms of how things are played and the idea like like I, I kind of had a different interpretation, for example, at the end when he, he when uh, the Batman is saving people who are in the flood, you know, like he is, it's true, saving one person at a time. But I sort of cringed when I saw him going across the water with all these people following him, you know, um, it, there's, there's all this sort of subtle indication of orthodoxy that lies behind it, which is a kind of white male, the um uh centricity about it and the 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 idea of a savior being one person who's the only person who really has the answer for these things when the uh when the real story is infinitely more complicated and in, involves infinitely more players and i realize that's a kind of like um I don't know, sort of uh, uh, utopian kind of sense of trying to interpret a superhero movie in that way. But right now, at this particular time, when we face a real danger that fascism could take over in large parts of the world, that the ideas in this film need a bit more of a critique. They need to be looked at more carefully, like what is urban life, for example? It, it, and if you're creating a film like this um, and, and you're, in a sense, celebrating certain things, um, I know I'm coming at it from a point of view of taking it much too seriously, but it does have an influence. This is a, a, this is something that people watch and they take something from. And there isn't the really, uh, the, the close identification with ideas that would actually challenge some of the orthodoxy of who runs the, who runs the power game, as it were. Okay, we've got a little bit of time left, but not much. And I think I'd like to hear a little bit about two of the secondary or subsidiary roles. One of them is Zoe Kravitz jumping into the procession that includes Lee Merriweather and Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt and Michelle Pfeiffer uh, and Halle Berry uh, and Anne Hathaway. So she's our latest Catwoman. And then Colin Farrell kind of just submerged under layers of Lord knows what kind of makeup uh, as the Penguin. So uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, why don't you give us kind of your take on both of them? So I, you know, I'm like Zoe Kravitz. She's fine. Um, But I actually really liked her in this role because I liked how they wrote the role of Catwoman. They actually gave her a little more 
meet a little more backstory that that had feeling behind it and they made her a little more complex you know and I'm, I think that in the comics she has that sort of like good bad you know um, conflict every now and then but this made it just you know it gave her more depth um, than you know we've seen in previous iterations of Catwoman and I think physically she just you know she really embodies it well um, and it just worked excellently now Colin Farrell I'll admit you know I had a little crush on him back in his heyday. So to see him in this role, he did an excellent job with it, but I kept on forgetting it was him. Um, and and I think that that's fabulous because that means that, you know, it worked for, for him too. Um, and I think someone mentioned that he may get his own series with this character, which I look forward to seeing more because it was fun to watch him in this role. Yeah, Sam. I mean, I, I loved uh, Colin Farrell in this role and thought, if anything, uh, I would have written him bigger and had him in more scenes. But what was your take? Um, I also like completely forgot it was Colin Farrell. I mean, he played such a cartoonish. Ba- it was like almost more cartoony than like Danny DeVito. Um, I thought Zoe Kravitz did a pretty good job. Uh, that's kind of a hard role to play Catwoman, surprisingly. Um, I thought that she was like cunning and smart, cool, calm, collected. Uh, there is one character we haven't mentioned at all. And I'd like just to take a quick second to talk about Paul Dano. Uh, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like you're being kind of strange. And the second time I watched it, it was absolutely terrifying. Like if we're going to talk about like real life critiques and how we should talk about this film, I think it does a phenomenal job talking about you know, fringe right-wing online communities and kind of how they operate. Like, if I'm going to put my Com 101 hat on, that's what I'll probably talk about. Um, But I really thought Paul Dano knocked it out the park. Like, he took this role so seriously. He was so creepy. He's like, oh, absolutely loved it. Has has Paul Dano ever not taken a role seriously? Uh, But he is great. Uh, It's not in his DNA. All right. We have to take a quick break here, and there'll be also a quick break with people coming on. It's the end of our pledge drive. We're asking you to support the show. Please do that. And then our wonderful panel, Tracy Wu Fastenberg and Sam Hattleman and James Hanley, will be back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
Hi, I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org WAT. Support provided by the Richard P. Garmini Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut Humanities. All right, we're back. Welcome to the Nose, our weekly cultural roundtable. With us today, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, James Hanley, and Sam Haddleman. Uh So this kind of came out of the blue, at least for me. Uh, Facebook has always seemed to be kind of sitting somewhere near the top uh, of the streaming food pyramid. And suddenly uh, Netflix, which has, you know, $300 billion in annual, no, $30 billion in annual revenue. Uh, suddenly announced they were kind of hemorrhaging customers. They lost 200000 uh, in the first quarter uh, and are expected to lose quite a few more uh, in the coming months. Uh, there's something wrong. They've hit a wall. Uh, there's occasion for panic. Their stock went right off the table. Uh, so, uh, this is, as I said, we say kind of a surprise uh, on this show. We talk about a lot of things that are available on uh, Netflix. So James Hanley, with all your years in the movie business and watching these uh, streamers come in and crowd people out of movie theaters, um, how are you feeling about this? And what's your theory about what's happening with Netflix? Well, to me, it really isn't at all a surprise. Um, I think it's been brewing for a long time. Um I mean, people who run movie theaters, you know, you could have some schadenfreude about uh, saying, well, you know, this was their comeuppance. But the truth is really that um, for a long time, they have been doing, having practices that really led them up into, uh, led them into having a problem. One that is mentioned in several of the analyses about their stock fall is the fact that they have not done anything about people sharing passwords all over the world. And of course, they have an incentive not to do anything about it because it makes it look like they're growing drastically all the time. But the real question which people have had for a long time is how much revenue they are getting from each customer. And um, there's also the fact that, at least in the American market and now increasingly in other parts of the world, there are so many streaming services that what looked like nothing to pay five, ten dollars a month to have access to streaming, once you have a dozen of those, that starts to be a more significant item in your budget. And there's also another technical thing, which I won't get into in detail, but people pay uh, Netflix thinking they're going to get high definition video and not very many of the customers actually get that. And so there are a lot of things coming together here um, and just one last thing, we were talking about the uh, length of the Batman being three hours. Well, one of the interesting things is that streaming, because people watch things in an episodic fashion very often, the length of the film is not such a hard limit anymore. Um, if you'd put out a three-hour Batman film, it would better have a very, very good certain <laughs> success coming because theater owners hate that because you can only play it once a night. So I, I, there's a thing, I think there are other things going on here. Um, so, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, uh, how about you? First of all, what's your relationship with Netflix? And uh, are you surprised? Do you, or actually, better question, do you have a working hypothesis about what's happening? You know, what's funny is I don't particularly have a working hypothesis. I am coming at this completely from as a consumer. 
Um, and I've used Netflix since, you know, you had to drive to the grocery store and use their little vending machine and return the, the, the DVDs and everything. Um, was that it? No, that was a, another different one. They mailed you DVDs. <laughs> they anyway. mailed them to you. Yeah, there was another one that had a vending machine. That one's gone. Um, you know, we've had Netflix forever. I have two young kids. And so, you know, there are certain Netflix produced shows that I loathe and they love. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant in our house. Um, I binge my shows, my husband binges his. And, um, but I think my biggest problem with this is that they have increased and it feels like almost every other month. And I'm sure it's not, they've increased the monthly subscription over and over and over again. And it seems pretty regular. They've dropped, you know, whatever definition you can get at whatever price. seems like there's been a lot of tinkering in a short period of time. Um, and I'll say we've shared our password once, hmm. um, you know, but, and it was an ex- extenuating circumstance. And I know folks who, who share passwords and not everybody can afford um, a monthly subscription and whatnot. And if, if this was something that they didn't want to do or they recognize would be a problem, maybe kind of not doing it on the heels of rate increases might have been a smarter idea because you know on my social media where it's mainly the consumers not experts like james there's a bit of an outrage about it just kind of you know a a lot of the comments are they keep on raising prices and now they're doing this and and they have a limit on how many screens you can have going at a time anyway based on your um subscription so there's kind of that argument as well. All right. Again, uh, by the I'm, way, I'm, yeah, being, I'm not in the business of yeah. this. I'm just on the consumer side. Right. I'm being told uh, Redbox still exists. Um, oh. I don't know why it still exists, but it apparently <laughs> does still exist. So, um, yeah. And just before we get to Sam, too, I mean, a few things worth noting. I mean, they, they have a they have a growth problem or sort of they have the opposite of growth right now. They don't necessarily have a revenue problem. And with $30 billion a year coming in, I mean – you know they're spending a lot of money on stuff, and they're throwing a lot of money into established auteurs like Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy. Uh, they're throwing a lot of money, thirty million dollars an episode reportedly at Stranger Things season four. They're, they spend a lot of money, uh, so one possible thing they could do is spend less money, and they'd be Maybe in pr- the, theoretically be in a little bit less trouble. But they still have a growth problem. So Sam, what's going on? What particularly you as a spokesperson for an entire young generation? Uh, I get the feeling maybe you guys are part of Netflix's problem. Oh God, I feel like I'm the worst representative for young people. Like I'm like six, I'm like secretly sixty years old. Like <laughs> I'm, I dress like Larry David. Like uh, any, I remember like the first time I got Netflix, I actually like ordered The Godfather two in the eighth grade, and I like used to get like DVDs and stuff. And then I remember why I got streaming the first time. It was to watch The Chappelle Show. And I was about like 13, 14. So I'm about a decade user of Netflix. And I just feel like they think they like thought for a while they were like too big to fail. And they had so many good things running Ozark, Stranger Things, The Irishman. It like they were going on a real Hall of Fame run. But now, like, obviously, Stranger Things is ending because they're all like 27 and pay taxes. Uh, Ozark's ending. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there's a really easy recipe to what's going on here. Uh, them being narcs about password sharing is a horrible idea. Uh, they are not producing enough original content. Like everything is like some weird coming of age story that nobody wants to watch under the age of sixteen. Hey, uh, or, <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm, am I wrong? Am I wrong? I'm a forty-one-year-old woman who loves these weird coming of age stories. I hey, I do too. I'm I'm like I I'm not I don't watch The Wire every single day. Like I watch them too, but like I'm just saying like. 
they're producing original content that isn't going to maximize the growth of their audience for me to try to put it that way. But yeah, I, I watch like I watch like the coming of age stuff too. Don't worry. Um, what, yeah. Let me just throw out one or two other theories that, that are sort of floating around here right now. Um, one of them is uh, that actually Netflix is, uh, you know, they have sort of a binge model of releasing stuff, which has worked kind of well for them because a lot of people like to be able to binge something. But also a lot of people like to have kind of appointment television where there's sort of a moment where you can talk about the latest episode of, of Euphoria or, or whatever with your friends. Uh, whereas if everybody's kind of watching everything in a different clip, you kind of don't get that event television feeling. Another thing that they do, which I actually think I give them kind of credit for doing it, is they don't let things run for very long. Three seasons is usually a lot. Stranger Things is a real exception, I think, for them. Um, but that means if you've got something – right now I think we're living in, in, in a time where you know, you've got to have two or three kind of deal-maker, deal-breaker shows if you're going to keep this subscription while you're dropping two other ones. Uh, and one of the problems with Netflix's theory is if you're not going to keep Ozark running for very long, if o- Ozark turns out to be one of the two or three reasons that that somebody likes Netflix and feels like they need Netflix and might drop Apple Plus or Showtime or Paramount Plus in order to keep Netflix, then if you don't keep the thing around that long, uh, you're causing uh, problems for yourself that you didn't need to. But I mean, as I we're going to go to a break here, but I you know I think James kind of is right that there's just a highly highly competitive field and brand loyalty means less and less and less and it's more of a question of looking at your credit card uh, uh slips and, and thinking or your or your whatever wherever it's turning up and think how much of this stuff can i keep what could i possibly get rid of and i feel like netflix is kind of turning into one of the things that maybe you could get rid of uh, you know maybe that you could learn to live without that uh if you really need to see apple plus or something like that All right, we'll take a little break. Uh, We're going to come back. This is not a fundraising break or anything like that. We'll just come right back. We'll make some recommendations. All right, time to say thanks to uh, technical producer Dylan Rays uh, in the house, uh, also Cat Pastor there uh, in the booth. Uh, they've been guiding us through a week of pledge drive breaks and all kinds of other chaos. This particular episode of The Nose, like pretty much all of them, is produced by Jonathan McPants, so thanks to him as well. Uh, this is the part of the show where we make some recommendations. Um, we have a, I've left us a little bit more time than I sometimes do, so panel, don't feel like you have to really, really speed through them, although that's a dangerous thing to say. But uh, James Hanley, why don't you get us going? going. Uh, what are you recommending this week? Oh, not hearing James. Uh, let's try somebody else. Tracy Wu Fastenberg, uh, make a recommendation for us. So um, I'm going to recommend an event coming up on Tuesday um, from four to five. The This is really long. West Hartford Parent Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Groups is holding illuminating conversations um, along with the Anti-Defamation League on how books can help us talk to children about um, identity, diversity, and bias, which is particularly appropriate with what we're seeing across the country. Um, you can find more information at weha, so weha, parentedi.wordpress.com slash events. Um, and you can register to get the recording as well. And this is a precursor to an event that I'm actually hands-on involved with in West Hartford, a collaborative initiative um, between several West Hartford schools. Oh, that's um, great. And I'll also, 
Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Keep so going. I'll also, I'll also induce, uh, endorse a cookbook that I just got, um, Mooncakes and Milk Bread, which is a lot of um, recipes from Chinese bakeries around America, sort of inspired by that. Um, I got it, unfortunately, about two days before Easter. So we had way too much to eat, but it's just <laughs> it's a great trip for anyone who likes to um, go to any of the Chinatowns and get stuff from bakeries. And, and it kind of takes you step by step through a lot of the history and stuff. And um, you will probably gain a lot of weight from whatever you make because it's delicious. Well, except for that part. It sounds really great. I did want to say that, <laughs> but you the, know, the my, weather's nice. You can go for a walk. That's right. Yeah, walk it all yeah. off. Burn it off. I do want to quickly say, you know, my son is um, is Latino and he was born in 1989. And at that time, first of all, there was no Amazon to order books from. And it was like really hard to find books that had Latino kids in them. We had to go to like Newburyport, Massachusetts. Or something. There was some bookstore that was kind of famous for this. You had to like drive around looking for things like that. So it is, it's interesting. All right. So uh, James Hanley, I think we get you back now. Uh, what are you no, going to recommend to us? That's okay. You know, um, I wanted to recommend uh, Stone Row Kitchen in Willimantic. Um, their food is really top of the line. It's an extraordinary experience going dining there. Stone Row Kitchen on Main Street in Willimantic. Um, they have a great crew there and uh, really good food, highly recommended. The other thing I wanted to recommend is um, the Michel Yeoh film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a really extraordinary sort of break in cinema. That's a, uh, it, It's hard to describe how it's a combination of um, serious fantasy and uh, just all out chaos. It's a really amazing film, highly recommended. And I'd also, by the way, uh, join in um, uh, with Tracy's uh, recommendation of the Mooncakes cookbook. That's a really wonderful book. I actually ordered it already. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So unanimity uh, about that. So Sam Hattleman, what have you got for us? Uh, I got two things. One, uh, I'm going to recommend the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. (laughs) Um, It was the best movie I've seen since Parasite. And uh, Colin, you can check me if I'm wrong. I don't think I've ever said something like this on the show. It was a masterpiece. Like, it was perfect. It was unbelievable, gut-wrenching, emotional, uh, action-packed, great casting. Like, I, can't, I couldn't talk about it enough. You, you got to go see it. All right. Um, we'll go through the transcripts and see whether you've ever said that before. <laughs> um, and the second thing I'm going to recommend is the album I'll be listening to all weekend. It's Almost Dry by Pusha T. Pusha T is kind of like uh, the Francis Ford Coppola of mafioso rap. He's like 45 years old and he still kind of raps in a Goodfellas-esque way. Half the album's produced by Pharrell, half of it's produced by Kanye. If you want to just try out one song, uh, Dreaming of the Past, it's a flip of an old Donny Hathaway song. Absolutely marvelous. Definitely check it out. All right, then. So I was thinking about, uh, first of all, well, uh, the first thing I'm going to recommend is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Substack newsletter, which is just terrific. And he's sort of like, we want to get him on the nose, actually. He he did a really interesting critique kind of from the inside of the HBO Max series, Winning Time. Uh, got circulated an awful lot on social media. But even today, I noticed he does kind of the nose. He, he's recommending stuff for you to watch and read. And I mean, he's a, he's a culture omnivore. He just chews up an awful lot of stuff. So he's recommending books and streaming stuff and music and, and everything kind of the way that we do. So, But it's really a great newsletter. And the best thing about it is it comes into your inbox as from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like you got an email from him. So I'm still at the point where I get excited when I see, see that, even though I know it's not really from him. I was thinking about Paul Dano, and, you know, he's given – he always plays somebody unhinged. I, I mean, there might be some, you know – 
a few divergences from that. But he always plays somebody with just almost always plays somebody with just these gigantic problems that are both upsetting to watch and kind of fascinating to watch. But the one I want to recommend, because not a lot of people have seen this movie, and I cannot guarantee that you will like it. I can't go Sam Hadleman on this and say that this is a masterpiece and you're going to love it. Uh, but there's a movie called uh, Swiss Army Man uh, that consists basically of Dano and Daniel Radcliffe, one of whom appears to be dead, uh, but sort of not quite dead or something. Uh, and I, I, there's no way to really describe it other than to say watch it uh, and watch these two performances. Radcliffe is really remarkable in a way that I've never seen him be. So uh, that one could be uh, a lot of fun for you. Just in the minute or so that we have left, you know, one thing that occurred to me uh, as we got ready to talk about Netflix is – I think there may be a revolution coming of a different type, too. I mean, one of the problems for Netflix or anybody, anybody doing any kind of thing that involves culture, entertainment, media, whatever, including us, is you have to sort of fight the war that's on the ground in front of you, but you also have to think about what's happening, what's going to happen next, what, what are you going to be dealing with next. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm a little bit influenced by the two hosts of the podcast Breaking Points, who were talking about this in connection with you know, one of the other big entertainment stories this week was that Jon Stewart's uh, series on, on Apple Plus doesn't seem to be doing very well. It doesn't seem to be grabbing anybody. And what they were saying, because it's what they did, the hosts of Breaking Points, is he should have just left and developed his own thing. And I mean, he never should have gotten involved with Apple Plus at all, because then you have to follow their rules. You have to do things their way. You have to listen to what they have to say. And the, John Stewart was a big enough star, so he could have started his own thing and pushed it up onto YouTube or or, or whatever, that he, he could have gotten the venture capital to do it, and then just he could have done it his own way. And, and I don't know whether that's a good analysis or not, but I do think that that's true, that people increasingly, if they can, and as the tech for creating content becomes even cheaper are going to do more and more of that. They're going to be, I mean, I think this whole streaming model is headed for a collapse. I mean, there can't be 12 different paper paid channels that you really need. Uh, I, I don't think that this is sustainable from a consumer-based standpoint either. I think there's going to be a culling and some of them will just go away. But I think also you're going to see independent auteurs figure out how to make stuff and get it in front of people without even having to go to Paramount or Showtime or HBO Max or, or whoever. Anyway, thanks very much to people uh, for people who did listen. Now there is going to be that moment where we ask you to pledge to support the station. If you do it, we are so grateful, especially if you do it right now. Last day of pledge, do it in our hour. We get a little extra credit.